0: Are you a fan of the Harry Potter Therapy Podcast? Do you want more episodes, more magic, and more guests? Do you want our show to reach and inspire more of those in need? Well, we can really use your support. If you would like to help us in our mission to spread awareness and destigmatize mental health struggles, we ask that you please subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast with friends, family, and folks you might think would enjoy and benefit from our content. Most importantly, please consider joining our Patreon community and becoming a contributor as one of our patreon contributors you will get access to exclusive content announcements videos and more you will join a community of like-minded pop culture enthusiasts that celebrate our connections to our favorite movies tv shows icons and superheroes as a contributor you will also be helping us support mental health charities as 15 percent of our proceeds are donated monthly to join our patreon community go to www.patreon.com make an account search for superhero therapy and select one of our tiers Now, on with the show.
1: Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy.
0: Hello all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy. I'm your host Dustin McGinnis, I'm a musician, filmmaker, and all around fanboy.
1: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett, I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time witch.
0: So today we are back, because we've had a little bit of a break, and we are going to be doing Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's Prediction. All of the Hogwarts students are getting ready for their exams at this time. Fred and George are actually preparing for their owls, which are ordinary wizarding levels. And Percy is preparing for his newts, which is nastily exhausting wizarding tests. Holy (laughs) moly. That just sounds bad. But Hermione is clearly overbooked and double scheduled. Everyone is stressing out, but especially Hermione. Hermione. Why do you think some people, especially good students like Hermione, are so focused on doing well despite any burnout or health issues that they might face?
1: I think for a lot of students, being a good student is a part of their identity and therefore not getting a good grade or even getting an imperfect grade might mean to, something to them about their identity. And for Hermione, I think that being a really smart student and somebody that has all the right answers and has all the perfect grades is a big part of her identity to where if she doesn't have that, I think she doesn't really know who she is.
0: Hmm. Identity crisis on a magical level. So the Defense Against the Dark Arts exam is kind of like an obstacle course where the students have to face a grindylow, some red caps, a misleading hickey punk, and of course a boggart. Hermione's boggart is Professor McGonagall telling her that she failed all her exams. What does this suggest about Hermione?
1: Well, I think as, as we mentioned earlier, it suggests that Hermione's biggest fear is failing. And I think to her, she might equate failing her exams as being a failure. Now, given that Hermione is born to non-magical parents, right, so she's muggle-born, and given that she'd already been bullied about it the previous year by Draco Malfoy and a number of other students, I think that Hermione might have almost like a chip on her shoulder, she might believe that she has to prove herself, that she maybe has to prove that she's worthy of being at Hogwarts. And given that she wasn't raised in a magical family, I think it's possible that she believes that the main way that she can prove that she is worthy of being at Hogwarts is by being really smart, by being a good student and getting perfect grades on all of her exams. And it makes sense, right? I don't think Hermione knows many other muggle-borns because... Ron Weasley, for example, is a pureblood, and Harry Potter is a half-blood, meaning that he hasn't had a completely pure blood lineage because his mom, Lily, was a muggle-born, his father, James, was a pureblood. But Harry was raised in a muggle-born household with his very abusive relatives. But nevertheless, he is Harry Potter. He's a legend, so he doesn't have to worry about fitting in, according to Hermione. But I think that she believes that because all of her friends come from a long lineage of witches and wizards and she's the first in her family, she might believe that she has something to prove not only to herself, but also to bullies like Draco and his cronies. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, if there's anyone that can handle that kind of pressure, it's Hermione Granger. So Cornelius Fudge brought an executioner with him to the appeal. And this is suggesting that their mind is already made up on this. It doesn't look like Buckbeat got a fair trial and Draco Malfoy got to get his way because his father's financial influence. How does this parallel what we see in real life?
1: Well, gosh, how often do we see completely unfair and rigged trials where individuals who are rich or have really good connections get off scot free for? rape or murder or other horrendous charges because of their family's influence. We've seen so many stories over the last decade of people who were caught red-handed sexually assaulting someone, for example, and because of their family's influence, were able to not have any kind of a punishment, not any kind of repercussions, whereas somebody that is coming from a more disadvantaged family, especially somebody that is a BIPOC individual, might be more likely to automatically be found guilty even for crimes they didn't commit or for things that were accidents. In Buckbeak's case, we know that his actions were provoked by Draco Malfoy's bad behavior But once again, this is where we see a very strong parallel to injustices that we see on a regular basis. Now, this example is fictional, but it brings in the horrors that a lot of people experience in everyday life.
0: The justice system, man. (laughs) I wish there was some way to really get it corrected.
1: And it's not to say that there's no justice at all, but when we learn about so many cases about people with really good connections not facing consequences or even being elected to some of the highest positions in the government, it really begs the question of what kind of justice is there. And then when we look at our prisons and we see that the inmates in majority of prisons are predominantly Black and also Hispanic arrested for crimes that white individuals would not be arrested for such as marijuana possession for example
0: or they have longer sentences for the same exact thing
1: or how many have been wrongfully accused because of face blindness which means and um, that people might not realize that they're looking at the wrong individual but perhaps with maybe the same skin color for example And unfortunately, it happens so often. And so I don't want to say that the entire justice system is completely bad. I don't want to overgeneralize here. But I do think that there's a lot of injustice that's going on and we all need to be aware of it. And we all need to speak up when we see injustices
0: happening. So the magical world is reflecting our own (laughs) with fairness and And unfairness and unfairness. So... Professor Trelawney's exam is more of a one-on-one type thing, and each student has to face her independently. Students are told that if they share any answers with others, they will have a horrible accident. What fear tactic is Trelawney using here?
1: I think in some ways she's creating almost like a superstitious belief in some of these students, whether she intends to do that or not, where students might believe that if they've done this particular thing, in this case, sharing how the exam was or what she asked them about, then any kind of bad luck that they go through thereafter, they might believe is linked to their behavior. So in some ways, she's creating what we might call magical thinking, like, if I do this, then this will happen. And then we take any kind of circumstantial event as evidence to further proof this belief. And in some ways, as almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so whether Trelawney is aware of what she's doing or whether she believes that she's somehow put some kind of a spell on the students, mm-hmm. either way, it seems to be working because no students are sharing with one another.
0: hmm What do you call it? Magical?
1: Magical thinking.
0: Magical thinking. I mean, that is so appropriate for the Harry (laughs) Potter world.
1: Very appropriate. And magical thinking is any kind of cognitive distortion that we might engage in. And think about it, um, football fans or any kind of sports fans really engage in magical thinking all the time.
0: Superstitious. Superstitious (laughs)
1: behavior. Exactly. Where we might think that, hey, if I put on this shirt, then my team is going to win. Or if I don't have this particular kind of beverage, then my team is going to lose.
0: (laughs) Or if I don't change my underwear for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you do change your underwear, um, hey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> And we do that regularly, right? I think a lot of people with anxiety might engage in magical thinking on a regular basis. People with obsessive compulsive disorder might engage in magical thinking more frequently than other people and might be afraid of telling other people what they're struggling with. For example, some people might believe that If I don't flick the light switch on a certain amount of times, or if I step on a crack in the pavement, or if I don't say a specific prayer a certain amount of times or a specific way, then somebody close to me will die and it will be all my fault. And... It's heartbreaking that a lot of people are suffering in silence. If you are experiencing magical thinking, if you're experiencing these kind of obsessive thoughts and and then feel compelled to do some kind of a ritual to prevent bad things from happening, please know that you're not alone and please consider seeing a mental health professional about whether or not you might be struggling with obsessive and compulsive disorder. That's something that a lot of people go through, and therapy tends to be very, very helpful for this kind of a condition. You don't have to suffer alone. Mm
0: -hmm. You know what's interesting is words and the vibrations of our languages coming out were actually considered spells. That's why, and if we write out these words, they were considered spells, and that's where spelling comes from. I thought that was very interesting, considering what we're discussing.
1: Well, Dumbledore himself says, words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And I think that's such a brilliant quote, because Mm -hmm. it's true, that with words we can really injure somebody, but we can also... By, by making a validating and compassionate statement really helps somebody to start healing some of their deepest wounds.
0: Mm. So on that note, it's finally Harry's turn to have his divination exam with Professor Trelawney. He obviously didn't see anything in the crystal ball. I don't know how many of them probably saw anything or made something up on the spot. But Trelawney seems to only be interested in grim predictions. You know, examples of, like, the the Hippogriff will die. She's being very morbid about Buckbeak and having the... You don't see an executioner coming and all this stuff because she probably saw him come in with the Cornelius Pledge. (laughs) But um, she makes predictions also about the Dark Lord. Professor (laughs) Trelawney, he will return return tonight. tonight. Sorry?
1: Betrayed his friends, hot with murder shall break free innocent blood shall be spilt, and servant and master shall be reunited once more <coughs> Oh I'm so sorry, dear boy. Did you say something?
0: And this prediction seems to be more real. What do you think about her? predictive abilities.
1: From what we know about Professor Trelawney, she was right at this point twice. And if we think about it, this is now the second time she's been right in about 14 years, right? And so if she's right every 14 years, once every 14 years, and she makes, let's say, let's take a very conservative estimate. Let's say she makes 12 catastrophizing predictions a day times 365 days a year times 14. That means that in the last 14 years, she's made 61,320 inaccurate predictions. And
0: it was probably way more than that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And and That's right. That's a very conservative estimate. And so... If she makes two correct predictions out of every 61,000, we would say that she's probably not the most reliable psychic. We know that Dumbledore hired her primarily because of that one prophecy that she had when she was almost possessed and didn't even remember the prediction that she made, which is exactly what happened this time here that Harry witnessed. And so it does seem like she has the gift, but that this gift is so scarcely utilized that majority of her predictions can be ignored.
0: Yeah. So let's get back to Buckbeak and Hagrid's situation here a little bit, because it is very somber. It's sad. Um, You know, because Buckbeak's a good hippogriff, hippogriff, and he's one of Hagrid's friends. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione go to Hagrid's hut to comfort him, and Hermione even risks getting into trouble, like a lot. (laughs) She takes a huge risk in retrieving Harry's cloak back from the one-eyed witch's passageway where Harry had to leave it when he was confronted by Snape. The trio feel very sad and powerless in this situation, and they can't help Hagrid, and they can't help Buckbeak out of this horrible situation. Can you please talk about the emotions that they're feeling in this moment?
1: Well, I imagine they're probably feeling extremely helpless. They're seeing their friend, Hagrid, absolutely devastated. They're... I imagine because they're such empathic children, they're probably experiencing something called empathic distress, which means that we might be suffering because we see somebody that we care about or even a stranger suffering. And I imagine they're probably also feeling guilty that there's nothing they can do to stop it, even though it's not their fault. And I imagine that they probably want to do anything possible to both protect Hagrid from his pain, but also to save Buckbeak from this injustice. You know,
0: I often don't like to see people suffer at all. I don't know. I don't think it's empathic distress. I just don't, I don't feel comfortable seeing someone else's pain. I want to take it away.
1: Yeah, that would be compassion, right? So when, when we see somebody suffering and we want to take it away and we, we love and care about that person, even if we don't know them, because we Mm -hmm. can still, feel love towards somebody we don't know, that feeling is compassion. When we feel so overwhelmed by the pain of another to the point that we are really distressed, that would be called empathic mm-hmm. distress.
0: Interesting. Well, we all have opportunities to help others. Uh, you know, I you see homeless people all the time, and a lot of times people pretend like they don't see them or they look beyond them, and, I mean, that must feel Horrible on their end to feel invisible or, you know, and all it takes is just one moment, a smile and a how are you doing today or something to, you know, just totally liven up that individual's day.
1: Well, just some basic humanity. There was this video I watched a few years ago about an individual named Ronald Davis. He was a homeless individual who lived in New York and... He was talking about how he would try to get a job, but places wouldn't hire him because he didn't have an address or a phone number to call. And he would say that, you know, how how unfair that was because he was trying to get a job to improve his life, but people wouldn't hire him essentially because he was homeless. And so he would spend his days asking for money, begging for money in order to just get some food and find a place to stay overnight, to hide away from the cold and the rain. And he said that a lot of people wouldn't even look at him and some people would yell at him and say, you know, get a job bum or say some other really mean things. And at one point when somebody was interviewing him about his experiences, he broke down and he said, I'm not a bum, I'm a human being.
2: It's really humiliating to be sick and a cook. 24 hours a day and people just look at you like you some kind of little bomb. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I have had people to walk past me and say get a job bomb And I said wait man, I'm not a bomb. I'm here to my band And it's hard. it's heart Well After the end of the day when when people go home and everybody get on the message train and they might And then I just feel so bad that I can't be going on, you know. I mean, I'm sorry. It's really emotional because I'm really trying to get myself together and get off this tree, you know. I mean, you just lose all your humility when you're shaking a cup begging, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it, you know. I mean, you know. You can look at a person until if they gain your respect or not. You know what I mean? A lot of people look at you like you're just a, a piece of chrome, you know. I had one guy walk past me and talked about me so bad. And then I just looked at him. I said, God bless you, sir. He walked past and went went down the street, come right back. And he said, you know what, man, I had a bad day. He said, I'm sorry for even calling you that. He said, because I know you're a human being. He said, would you accept my party? I said, party accepted." He went in his pocket and gave me 30 bucks and said, go get to a room and get you something to eat. No matter what people think about me, I know I'm a human first, And just because I'm down on my love, don't give nobody no excuse to call me no bomb. Because I'm not.
1: I just found out that, unfortunately, Ron Davis passed away last year, and he, he died homeless, despite many years of trying to change his life. It's just really heartbreaking because I think a lot of his life was spent... With people not seeing him as a human being, seeing him as maybe an inconvenience, seeing him as someone or maybe not even a human, but maybe something that they didn't even want to look at. And that just breaks my heart.
0: Mm-hmm. Doesn't hurt to be a little compassionate. I tell you, it's too bad about Ronald Davis and it doesn't take much to make someone happy or change their mood just with a smile sometimes
1: at the very least just make someone feel appreciated and seen
0: yeah so when they're at the hut and they're seeing the executioner come down and all that stuff they also see scabbers and ron's old rat seems very freaked out and is trying to run away but ron hasn't seen him in forever and he thought that you know crookshanks ate him and everything so he goes up and he grabs his rat but his rat's trying to get away from him from something he, he, it's freaking out and then as they are returning to the castle they hear the swish and thud of the executioner's axe coming down on something very heavy and that is where we're going to go ahead and end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek.
1: And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlet. You can find me on Twitter at ShadowQuill or Dr. Janina Scarlet Official on Instagram.
0: For all of our listeners out there, we are sending out free signed copies of Dr. Scarlet's book, Harry Potter Therapy, an unauthorized self-help book from the restricted section. To enter the drawing, all you have to do is tweet about this podcast with the hashtag Potter therapy we will choose one lucky listener every month to receive their free copy unfortunately due to high postage costs international listeners will not be eligible for this promotion stay kind out there everybody stay magical and take care
1: the information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening.